Well, then this evening, we began, last time I preached on a, a Sunday evening, to look at Malachi. And it's been, it was laid on my heart soon after uh, I received the call from the church to come that this perhaps was something to, uh, to look at on a Sunday evening together. And last time, we just looked at the background of the book and focused on verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And to remind you of the situation uh, in Israel, here's the last book to be written in the Old Testament. There'll be no further word from God until uh, John the Baptist comes preaching in the wilderness. Well, there have been some words from uh, angels and uh, some words from uh, Zechariah. But uh, really it was when John the Baptist came, the word of God again uh, came to the people of Israel. But here's the last word in the Old Testament. It was a time in the church, uh, the Old Testament church of complacency. The temple had been built. The walls had been built and the gates had been set in place. The priests were ministering at the temple. People were bringing their offerings. But it was a time of spiritual decline. To the casual visitor, all seemed to be going on as it ought to be. Outwardly, things seemed to be okay. But God looks at the heart. And he had a contention with his people. And that's what really matters. What does God think about us here tonight? And Malachi is all about God's contention with his people. And yet, at the heart of it, it's God's desire that through his contentions with his people, it's a restorative contention. He wants them back with all their hearts, serving him with gladness. So we covered something of that last time. But now, this evening, we'll look at verses 2 through to 5. Three little headings, uh, an opening statement of the greatest possible magnitude. That's my first point. Second point, a cool response. And the final point, a powerful reproof. So first of all, an opening statement of the greatest possible magnitude. And here it is, verse 2, the opening statement in verse 2. Could there be any greater words than these to your soul, to your ears, to your mind, to your heart tonight. Here it is, a statement of the greatest possible magnitude. I have loved you, says the Lord. I, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the I Am, the God of the covenant, triune Jehovah, the I am, the eternal being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, God, have loved you, Israel. Love. Very, very common word banded around all too easily. But when it comes from the Mind and the heart of God to you and to me, something very, very profound and very, very powerful. I ought to make us sit up and take notice here tonight. Love, the love of God 
towards his people. There are many attributes of God. We can think about the, the power of God. Think about the knowledge of God. Think about the presence of God. Think about the holiness of God. But here we're thinking tonight, and God is speaking to Malachi's generation two and a half thousand years ago. He's also speaking to this generation in 2022. We're thinking about the love of God. And I describe the love of God in this way. It's, um, it's that dynamic attribute of God. Other attributes we could say of God, they're, they're static. We can say things about God that, that just simply are. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. Those things are great realities. But here is an attribute of God that I would call a dynamic attribute because it's the love of God that moves him into action. Because of love in the heart of God, God is moved to act on behalf of poor sinners like you and I. The love of God moves him into action. The love of God comes, as we're going to see, from eternity past. It moves into time. Settled around us here in 2022. And it moves ahead into eternity future. Dynamic attribute of God. The love of God. Also described in this way. Uh, it's a fountainhead attribute. It's an attribute that is the source of many other things that we know about Almighty God. The source of so much blessing comes from the love of God. Think of mighty rivers around Wales, around Britain, around Europe, around the world. Every mighty river has got a, a source. And deep in the mountains, in the bowels of mountains, springs of water being forced up and they arrive somewhere on the mountainside and burst forth into a fountain, a mountain spring and begin to flow down and eventually forming a mighty river. And deep in the unfathomable minds of God beats this heart from eternity into time and to eternity, the love in the bowels and the depths of the being of God. And that love flowing out into grace and mercy and forgiveness, long-suffering, his patience, his kindness. And God is saying to the people in Malachi's time, and God is saying to us here tonight, I have love. And I'm told, and again, I'm no Hebrew expert, but I can read the commentaries. Have loved seems to be a past tense, and it is a past tense. But also embedded in this word is the, the present. Not only I have loved, that's a reality. And Israel, you can look back and believe it here tonight. You ought to look back, and I ought to look back. I ought to stand, I ought to ponder. And see the love of God. And never doubt the love of God. And bask in the love of God. And lean on the love of God. And trust in the love of God. 
I have loved you. I still do love you. It's a present reality. And God is saying to the Israelites here in Malachi's time, I have loved you. I do love you. Despite his very real contention with his people, despite his displeasure at their conduct and their sin, he loves them. And his rebuke is a restorative rebuke. And the aim of his rebukes that will come throughout Malachi is that they should be restored. So here you have it in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. There's the desire of the heart of God, that his people should return to him. The love of God. What can we say about it? What do we know about it? We don't have enough time. We'll have the whole of eternity to sound the depths of love divine. But here we know that it is an everlasting love. It knows no shade. It never, ever dims. Now understand this. The pleasure of God towards you and me knows change. God was not pleased with his people in Malachi's time. He has a contention against them. He's not pleased with them. But he loves them because his love can never change. For many of you here, many of us, we, we have children. And uh, I hope, if we're looking to bring them up in a right way, and if we have brought them up in a right way, that at times we'll have a contention with them. We'll have something to say about their, their conduct. And they might not feel too happy about what you have to say. And maybe they doubt your love. They shouldn't. Don't you love me anymore? Of course I love you. I'm not pleased with you though. I want you to stop doing that and return to the right conduct that we expect in this family. Well, never doubt that I love you. Never doubt that I love you. And God's love is an everlasting love. It's unchanging. It's unchangeable. God's love can never, ever change. Here it is again, Malachi chapter 3. Now verse 6. For I am the Lord. I do not change. Now thank God for that. We have a, a fixed point. And the love of God can never change, will never change. Is unchanging, is unchangeable. Knows no flicker, knows no shade, knows no diminution. And therefore, because of that, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. I might discipline you, but you're never going to be consumed. Once the love of God has hold of you, nothing can change that. Love with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me. It is so the love of God. Everlasting, unchanging, unchangeable, constant glory. What a glorious reality. What blessed people we are. We ought to be jumping up and down. Now we're not a, I don't think we're a Pentecostal congregation. I, I, um, at times though, you, you, you wonder, is there any life in me? Is there any life in you? 
I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in my, my heart. Sometimes it ought to overflow. There used to be a guy in St. Bellens, uh, the, he and his wife came for uh, a few years. They were from a, a more lively background, but uh, they seemed to settle well. Uh, but from time to time, I get a hallelujah from the gallery, and a praise the Lord, and an amen. And uh, people would look around. <laughs> what's, what's going on here? And, uh, but at times... At times. And if we're not saying it, we feel it, don't we? Do you feel the love of God? What do you think about the love of God? Jesus' love. We should maybe finish with that one, Paul. Jesus' love is very wonderful. So high, I can't get over it. So wide, we can't get round it. So low, we can't get under it. Oh, wonderful love. Glory. I have loved you says the Lord. Now, given that this is going to be a, a, a prophecy and a book of contention against these people, what a wonderful way to start. What a wonderful, what a God we have. He has something to say to his people, but he begins with a word of powerful encouragement. I have loved you, and I do love you. So there's the the first point, um, an opening statement of the greatest possible magnitude. And that's no understatement. There couldn't be anything to better that statement. Whoever said, I, I love you, or ever said something towards you, that they love you is the highest thing they could say. And here it comes from the highest of all beings. God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, saying, Amen. Together, echoing, I have loved you. So then comes the sadness and the reason for God contending with his people because there's a cool response. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Here is something, and I touched on this last time, I believe, of the, uh, the vulnerability of God. We think of God in that way, respectfully, the vulnerability of God. Do you believe that God has feelings? Well, of course he has, because we are made in his image. Do you, do you feel things? Why? Because he feels things. A part of the image of God is that we... We feel things. It comes from him. He has opened his heart. How are we going to respond? Again, I touched on this last time. It's, it's worth repeating for you. Do you remember opening your heart to somebody? Maybe you've been going out with someone for a for a little while, you've been sharing some, some meals and uh, doing things together and you're taking an interest and you're hoping she's taking uh, an interest too and you're out together uh, walking one evening, the stars are out, but other star, I only have eyes for you and uh, I, I don't know if it's cloudy or bright. But, uh, and then you decide and your heart's pounding 
And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. And you, you say, I do love you. You leave yourself vulnerable. How's she going to respond? Oh, I actually, I, I only wanted a friendship. Let's, let's stay good friends. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. It's not okay, though, is it? It's not okay. You wanted so much more than that. And here is, is God. I have loved you. I do love you. I read on social media just this week, I thought, that's helpful. It's a quotation from John Owen. So listen to this. If you agree with John Owen, you don't have to agree with everything that John Owen says, but I've, I've learned in recent years to, to love his writings. When I was a student, someone gave me a copy of uh, the works of John Owen, just one volume. I couldn't. I couldn't make head or tail of it. I mean, I was a university student. I ought to have had the intellect to persevere with it, but uh, it seemed no one had taught him how to write. It seemed just to be a, 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 a confused mass of points. And once he made his point, there was a sub-point. I thought, all right, I'm with the sub. Then there's a sub-sub-point. And then a sub-sub-sub-point. Where, where am I with, with this? But in persevering with it, some of the most heartwarming Powerful, helpful books that you could ever read. So invest in the works of John Owen. If you uh, get the chance to, to, to get copies, of, buy, buy them, get, get them. And carefully read them, annotate them, study them. But here's a quotation from John Owen. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do him, is not to believe he loves you. Do you agree with John Owen? I'll read it again. He has the greatest sorrow. Can God feel sorrow? And burden. Can God feel a, a burden? Jesus Christ certainly knew sorrow and a burden. The man of these sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, Jerusalem! And the tears over Jerusalem and crying and tears about the young man who, 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 uh, who departs. And uh, the compassion he felt towards the leper, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him. Who here will want ever to be unkind to God? Shame on us. Shame on me. Be unkind. To him, the greatest unkindness you can do him is not to believe he loves you. So he has said in Malachi's generation, but because this is the word of God, living and active, more powerful than the two-edged sword, and because I'm the appointed preacher uh, tonight, and all I'm doing is uh, reading the words of the prophecy of Malachi, and I'm vibrating the airwaves, uh, rarefaction and compression uh, waves are hitting your ears and uh, they're going down this, uh, this ear hole and these little bones, the Incus, Malleus and Stapes vibrating on, on the, the drum and wonderfully, isn't this a wonderful system? Who, and people were, how can't people believe that there's a God? And uh, the auditory nerve uh, takes those impulses and the brain deciphers them and so that you can understand what, what is being said. It really is amazing. 
But God is saying to you, because this is the word of God, I love you. Now how do we respond? Let's see the response in Malachi's day then. It's cool, it's cold, it's dismissive. In what way have you loved us? It's a sort of a ho-hum. Oh, I've heard that one before. Yeah, God, God, God loves me. In, in what way have you loved us? Uh, how have you loved us? Wherein, the old King James Version puts it that way, wherein have you loved us? Of course, now listen now. This is never said outwardly by the people. When uh, the prophet was, would say, God says, I, I love you. No one would say outwardly, well, I don't believe that that is true. There'd be the evangelical smile. Uh, but God knows. And God looks at the, at the hearts. God understands all that's happening in the hearts. So as God has said to you and to me tonight, I have loved you. Indeed, I, I do love you. What is our response? Are we tempted to think even? Uh, it's all very well for him to say. But how has God loved me? I look at my circumstances. I look at my situation. What about my family member who's so unwell? What about my situation at, at work? God, God loves me. In what way has he loved me? God is looking at the response of our hearts and he penetrates right to the heart you're familiar with these verses 1 Samuel 16 6 and 7 so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said surely the Lord's anointed is before him but the Lord said to Samuel do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we thought about that wonderful verse in Proverbs last time. My son, give me your heart. What does God want from you and from me? It's important that we work and we're active and we use our gifts and we do, we do things. But the, the key thing is the motivation. I want your heart. I want your heart. And that should oil all that we do and uh, make the heart of God glad. Even if we, we mess up, that right motivation in our hearts is absolutely key. The heart is, is everything. We're familiar with the Song of Solomon, how the love of the Shunammite woman was hot, but then grew cold and indifferent towards King Solomon. And when he comes rattling and knocking on the door, she's slow to get out of the bed and to let him in. And before she knows it, she, he's gone and she, she's lost him and she has to seek him and find him again. So for me, here, now, tonight, God's declaration, what am I saying back to him in my heart? Do I doubt the love of God? What's the proof? Rapidly moving on, third point, the proof. And then there's a little application in closing. The proof of God's love. Second part of verse 2, then through to verse 5. In what way have you loved us? God's reply. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau 
I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness, even though Edom has said, we, will be we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They will be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall see the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. What is the proof of God's love towards his wayward people? Well, here it is. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. God's electing, unconditional, unchanging, unchangeable love. Jacob and Esau. And God states the obvious. He asks them a question. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Well, of course he was. Uh, twin brothers. Uh, Esau the elder, Jacob the, the younger. Jacob I have loved. I have loved you, says the Lord. He's speaking to Israel. He goes right back to Jacob. In what way have you loved us? Was not? Esau, Jacob's brother. Yet Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. Now, why? Why this contrast between Jacob and Esau? Why? Why? And for the question why, I, I don't want to focus on why has God hated Esau? That's not the question. That's not the baffling thing. The why is not, not, why has he hated Esau? Surely, that is simple. And yet, when we read this verse, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, we think, well, why has he hated Esau? That's not the question. It's the wrong way around. The question is, why ever has he loved Jacob? Why has he hated Esau? Simple. It's simple. It is justice. This is only right. Sin. God's settled opposition against sin is his wrath. God is holy. God is pure. God dwells in depths of burning light. And God has a settled position against sin that can never move. And Esau is in the focus of that. Esau is getting what all mankind deserves, justice, sin. Who has sinned? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the penalty for sin? Well, not the penalty. The Bible's very clear. It's wages. Romans 6.23, in the first part, the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death. That's why you meet people who say, I don't even know if God exists or not. Well, Tragic, we're made to know God. It's our raison d'etre. Why don't we know God's sin? Spiritually, he's cut us off from the God who is there. And we try and find meaning in money and possessions and relationships and little, little things that, that we do. Never hits the spot because there's that spot that only God can fulfill. Blaise Pascal in every human being is a God-shaped vacuum. But sin 
has brought a rift between us and our God. Spiritual death, physical death that comes upon us because of sin. Here I am, 64, 65, next month, the roof's coming off, the foundations are creaking. Sin has done this. When we look at each other, we ought to see the wages of sin. And it's getting more and more, isn't it? I'm not looking younger. I'm always looking older. These are my wages. But then there's the eternal consequence. There really is a hell. And to be away from God's good pleasure forever and ever and ever and only to know His wrath is a terrible thing. It's justice. The wages of sin is death. Oh, poor Esau. No, he gets exactly what he has earned. The wages of sin. But the pressing, urgent question has to be, why did he love Jacob? That's the way around it needs to be. Jacob, why? Why Why would he love Jacob? And actually, of the two characters, if you've read Genesis, have a read again. It's quite extensive what we have to learn about Jacob and Esau. But of the two characters, who would you choose to be pals with? Well, Esau is the more attractive character, actually, from a human perspective. He's a man's man. He's out there. He's a hunter. He'd be the... Uh, the, the football star, he'd be the quarterback, he'd be the, uh, well, whatever, he'd be the captain of the cricket team. And, 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 and Jacob, slimy, sneaky deceiver, even his name means deceiver. Well, there was a promise right at the birth and uh, his mother heard the promise. It was actually given to her that the older will serve the younger. It's going to be Jacob who will be, uh, get the blessing. And despite the promise, Jacob not content to live under the word of God, but he wants to manipulate. Now learn a lesson. How many manipulators are there in Christian churches who think they need to give God a hand for his will to be done? It seems the deacons aren't getting on with the elders and the, and the pastor and, the, and that committee. We're waiting forever. I better just send this email and do one or two things behind. Manipulating. Pray. Live. Trust. Jacob couldn't do that. Sneaky. Makes the soup and... Uh, steals the birthright from Esau that was his anyway, it was his anyway. And even after the great events at Bethel and the ladder up to heaven, still Jacob still scheming and manipulating with the sheep and giving them things to make sure he gets Laban's flocks, us. Can I trust him? Can I trust God? Do I know that he loves me? Do I know he loves his church? You know, What's and all. Jesus Christ loves his church. Every local church he, he loves. Or oh, he wants to correct, he wants to cleanse us, he wants us to be improving. Whatever state we're in, don't doubt that he loves us. He loves Heath Evangelical Church. He loves St. Melon's Baptist Church. He even loves the wacky church down the road that are quite a little bit fuzzy on the corners, aren't they? One or two screws vibrating. But he's his bride and he loves it. And he's working out his purposes. Can we trust him? Can we trust him? Do we know 
that he loves us. Despite all Jacob's flaws, Jacob I have loved. And his love is a dynamic love. And it moves him to take Jacob to Bethlehem, the ladder up to heaven. Uh, he's out then to, to labor. And he comes back. He has the meeting and wrestles with God. And then he eventually comes back to Bethel. And his name is changed to Israel. And of course, he has the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, all the history of Israel and taking them down into Egypt in 400 years, then bringing them out under Moses, that powerful outstretched arm and the party of the Red Sea and the moving through the wilderness and coming into the promised land and all the nations that seemed to what sought to attack them and how God kept them, prayer and bravery and the fighting, God keeping his people Oh, I have loved you, says the Lord. In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet Jacob I have loved. And Esau, have a look at Esau. Have a look at the state of uh, Edom. It's a desolation. And they're raising their head and saying, Oh, we will rebuild. You will not. You will not. Jacob I have loved. Esau I have Hated, outrageous love of God towards Jacob and towards Israel. Why? Here's the question. Why would he love Jacob? Why does he love his people? And there's no answer. There really is no answer. I love Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. The things revealed belong to us God loves us why I can't fathom it it's very wonderful I can say this it's not because of me there's no merit in me there's no merit in you final application well we could spend eternity here and, and of course we we will <laughs> That's something we will do for eternity, fathoming the depths of love divine. In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God it found out me. I have loved you. I do love you. It's not murmur. It's not wonder. What's the proof of God's love? Look no further than Calvary. Keep fixed on Calvary. Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory on a Sunday morning and Sunday evening, till my ransomed soul shall find rest beyond the river. Well, it doesn't rhyme, it doesn't fit. It's totally wrong anyway. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever tomorrow morning in the office the grumpy boss the difficult lecturer the harshness of the report from the doctor the difficulties that we're facing the financial constraints in the cross in the cross do I doubt the love of God God demonstrates Romans 5 verse 8 to us God demonstrates his own love to us in this while we were yet sinners Christ died for thee ungodly for God's soul of the world don't forget John 3 16 don't let the devil rob you of it soul of the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him 
will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Are you saved tonight? If not, why ever not? God sent His Son. God becomes one of us. God the Son, sent by God the Father. Who is Jesus Christ? The second person of the one triune God. He comes to this planet and takes humanity, a human body like yours and mine, a human nature like yours and mine, except there's no sin in his humanity. He hasn't stopped being God. In the one person, we have two natures, fully God, fully man. He's come to do us good, to get to heaven and know God. I wouldn't have to reap the wages of my sin. He lived a perfect life for me. He sits the entrance exam for heaven. He puts your name on the paper. He passed with flying colors. This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. And then Calvary was hell on earth. He dies taking the wages I deserve. He takes my death. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. Oh, dearly, dearly has he loved, and we must love him too, and trust in his redeeming blood and try his works to do. Are you saved? If not, get saved. Don't leave here tonight without the Savior, Jesus Christ. I have loved you. Stay near to him. His love is an eternal love. Listen, time is running away. Much more I I could say. I was going to go to Romans chapter 8 and look at that chain from eternity to eternity. But I've impressed these things long enough. There's a tidal wave. Let me finish with this. A tidal wave of love. Where did it begin? Before ever there was a universe. A tidal wave rose in the heart of God. He creates a universe focused on the third rock from the sun, planet Earth, makes it a beautiful place to live. Puts mankind there, but he he fell into sin, deceived by the devil. But God is not caught out the tidal wave. Oh, it came from eternity. It washes into time and space. It's moving through the ages. You got your surfboard ready? Catch the tidal wave of God's grace and ride it all the way because he's going to take you and land you on the shore, the golden sands of eternity future. Looking forward to that, getting off the surfboard. Can be a bit, I've never really tried, I've bodyboarded. It's enough for me. But surfing, you can fall off. It's a bit difficult. It's not easy but ought to get to the golden sands of eternity future. And is the love of God extinguished? Certainly not. We're there to sound the depths of love divine. Oh, here we have it then tonight. Never doubt the love of God. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. So here's his word to us again tonight. I have loved you, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an all too brief time in your word. We thank you, you speak to us. Pray you'd speak to our hearts, enlighten our minds. Move us, we would pray, to be more and more like our Saviour, Jesus Christ. To your glory, we pray. Amen. Well, there's a wonderful closing hymn. Um, It's by Joseph Hart. And it's uh, again from the supplement, a man there is, speaking of Jesus, a real man who once on Calvary died. A very wonderful, powerful hymn.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen. <laughs>